Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, you may not know the story of that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, back in the days before there was air travel, if you want to go across, over to Europe, you had to go by ship. And so a, a man and his family were going to go to Europe, uh, but he had some business he needed to take care of first, and so he sent his family on ahead of him. And at some point, for some reason, I don't know, storms or whatever, but the ship sunk and his family perished. And he receives the news by telegram. Well, when he, he decides to head toward Europe to whatever he's going to do following this up, but he asked the ship's captain, would you please um, call me when we get to that place where my family went down and died? And so he's on the ship and that time comes, I think it was in the evening time, but the captain calls him and he goes out there and he is the author of those words. It is well, it is well with my soul. You know, this really matters that you're, you are well, that, you know, it's well with your soul because you know Jesus Christ and you have a relationship with him. And that you've gone all in with him. That's what we've been talking about all summer. We are coming down to the last sermon from the book of Philippians. But man, I just want to do a quick review of the things that we have seen uh, this summer. And if you've missed any of these, I encourage you to go back and watch the sermon or certainly uh, just to read the book again. So 15 big truths we've learned so far. There'll be a quiz on these at the end of the service, so no. Number one. God began a good work in you when you receive Christ, and he is going to continue that good work until it's done. That means from now until when? Until when? Forever. That's right. He started. He's going to bring it to pass. Number two, God is always at work in your life behind the scenes, even when you don't see it. And that is such good news, isn't it? Because man, looking at it from my perspective sometimes, we're at a loss, but God never is. He's always at work bringing about his good and perfect purposes in our lives. Number three, your biggest life goal should be to magnify the Lord in how you live and how you die. So instead of focusing on maybe what you can't see, what you, you can't do, focus on magnifying him. Notice, live in such a way that people can see that he's real in your life. Number four, while your life here and now can be great, going to be with Christ will be far better. It's just true. And if we can settle that in our hearts and minds, then the worst things that ever happen to us here, we will know it's only temporary. And we're going someplace that is far, far better. Number five, following Christ faithfully includes willingly suffering for him. Sometimes when we do what God says, there's opposition to that and we may have to suffer. But that's part of how God works in us and then part of how he works through us into the lives of others. Number six, view your life the same way Jesus viewed his. And how did he view it? Well, faithfully living for God, for his father, in whatever circumstances he gives you, trusting him to work it all out in the end. In other words, let's live the way God says to live and trust the consequences and the outcomes to him. Uh, number seven, 
give high priority to understanding what God did in you when he saved you and then to working that outward into your life in practical ways because your salvation is so much more than about that, that one moment in time when you finally say, okay, God, I, I trust you. I receive Christ as Savior and, and your sins are forgiven. You receive eternal life, right? And he moves in. But that's just this beginning's point about everything else in your life. And so we want to say, what did God do? And now what difference does that make in my life? And how do I live that way? Give it a really high priority. Priority Number eight, always seek what Christ wants in your life before all else. Man, when something's going on in your life, you can think of all sorts of things that you need to consider. First, consider what does Christ want, okay? And then all those other things can find their rightful place. Number nine, never let religion, no matter how good it may look, take the place of Jesus in your life. And religion can do that, and that's what Paul had talked about. But really, we could expand this. It's not just religion. Don't let anything that the world offers you be more important to you than your relationship with him. Number 10, don't focus on past failures or successes, but look forward to where Jesus is leading you now in the future. You can get hung up on your past failures and be discouraged and get up hung on your past successes and then not do what you need to do now as well. Okay, number 11, follow Jesus the best you know how. And if you're missing it in some way, he'll lovingly let you know. And to me, this is one of the most encouraging truths in the book of Philippians. Okay. Uh, number 12, learn from people who are good examples of following Jesus faithfully. Don't be pr too proud to follow somebody else's good example, okay? Uh, humble yourself and, and uh, learn. Uh, number 13, be known for your joy as a Christian, not for your anxiety. In other words, don't be an expert on your problems. <laughs> be an expert on on Jesus and his reality in your life, okay? That brings you joy. So what do we do with the anxiety? What do we do with that? Well, we learn this, that number 14, replace anxiety with the peace of God that comes from prayerful dependence on him. So when you find the anxiety coming, that's pretty normal. It comes, what we need to do is go to God, right? It says, uh, don't be anxious about anything, but instead pray about everything. That's what it says there in Philippians bringing your request to God. And he says the result of that is we go to God in prayer and depend on him. He replaces the anxiety with his peace. Okay, now you may have to do that again in a minute or an hour a day, right? But that's what we do. Okay, and then number 15, we looked at this last week, be very purposeful to think and live like a true Christian. That's really looking back up the list, all 14 of those, right? On purpose, learning to think these ways. On purpose, choosing to live these ways. And when you do that, you're on the right road to where the Lord wants you to go and, and, and where you ultimately really want to go. And so we are going to see one more of these truths today. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible with you, as always, we encourage you to pick up one up under the chair there in front of you. We're going to be on page 1351 and 1352 this morning in that Bible. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse number 10. Now, if you remember, the reason Philippians was written is because the people in Philippi, the Christians in Philippi, and by the way, this was known to be not a, a rich 
bunch of people, the Christians. We found out in 2 Corinthians 8 that really these, these people were pretty poor by our human standards. But nonetheless, they apparently over time had been sending Paul money. And, and maybe, I don't know what other kind of supplies you could send in those days, but they, they were concerned about him when he was out there preaching the gospel places. And so they sent support for him. And then for some reason, they hadn't been able to. Maybe they had lost track of where he was, didn't know where he was, or something else had happened. But they have discovered that, that Paul is in, in jail here in Rome. And um, they have sent one of their pastors, Epaphroditus, with a gift with support to help meet his needs there. And so that's what triggers this. And then the Apostle Paul, of course, talks about, as he always does, about Christ and the difference that that makes. So let's begin reading here in verse 10. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So he says, I know that you hadn't stopped caring, but for some reason, they weren't able to do this. But he's glad that they are now for lots of reasons. Verse number 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Okay, so the idea is when I didn't, wasn't receiving support from you, I was content. When I was receiving support from you, I was content. Okay? And so Paul says, what are these? whatever the circumstances are, I've learned to be content. Well, how do you do that? How do you do that when you're looking and say, man, I don't think I have what I need to do what I need to do? You feel that way. How can you be content? Well, the next verse, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How can you be content like that? Well, I can do it through Christ. He strengthens me to be able to see the world this way and to, to respond to it in this way and to be content. By the way, this is one of those verses that is so often snatched out of the Bible and used in wrong places for wrong reasons. It's like anything that... And I don't, I just want to say, I, I don't want to be belittling people's faith. That's not the point. But ask the professional football player at the end of the game, the interview, and say, so how, how did you make that catch? That's an incredible catch. Well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus is the one who made me catch. I mean, that's not what this is about. It's about when we're seeking to do the things that God has for us to do. And maybe that's where, that maybe this is what God has the football player doing. But do you understand what I'm saying? How come you missed that pass? Well, I don't know, because I can do all things. <laughs> that's not what that's about. It really is about how do we live our lives for Christ? Because there are things that are impossible for us to do, things we don't understand, things that we're weak in, all that kind of stuff. How can we do it? Christ enables us. Okay, so let's continue. Verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. It almost sounds like Paul says, it's, you know, yes, you send this stuff good, but you know, really, I'm content. I don't need it. I'm fine. Christ takes care of me. It doesn't really matter whether you send it or not. He said, no, no, no. That isn't what he's saying. Because he says, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. So Paul lets us in on something there. He was content, 
But how did he just now describe his situation? What's the word? It's okay if you look in your Bible. The last word in verse 14. Distress. So Paul did experience distress, right? Because of where he was at and what was going on, what, what his needs were. He was content. He was trusting the Lord. The Lord was enabling him to do that. But he is glad now that they have sent this gift to help him. It makes a big difference. And then he talks about them, encouraging them. Verse 15, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, in other words, when I brought the gospel to you and preached it to you, and then I left and went on from there. In the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, which is where Philippi was, when I departed from Macedonia, the church, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. So the Philippians, because this very poor area, but they stepped up and and stepped out in faith and continued to support the Apostle Paul and send support to him. Just like we do with our missionaries, okay, around the world. And then verse 16, he says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent once aid once and again for my necessities. Then he says, it's not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. So he's saying it's, it's, it's not about me getting what I want or me getting what I think I need. It's about what God is doing. And by your sin and support, I'm able to continue to do what I'm doing. And there is fruit from this. There are people who come to Christ. Um, there are people who make decisions to follow the Lord. There may be people who make decisions to go be missionaries themselves. He says, this is good and it's fruit. But this, all, all that Paul is doing and with the fruit from that, who he's, whose account does he say it goes on? It goes on Paul's, right? But it goes on who else? The Philippians, who sent to help him. It goes on their account too. You, know, you think about that, that we support a number of missionaries. You know, we're, what, $3,500, $4,000 a month. I don't remember that, that you give so that we can support missionaries around the world. Well, every time they reach someone for Christ, we have had a part in that, haven't we? You know, if you've given, if you've prayed for them or whatever, you have a part in that. And it doesn't just go on their account. It goes on your record. And when you get to heaven, guess what? Part of your rewards will be what it was accomplished out there because you were part of it, of what God was doing in your giving. This me encourage you. It's the same here, right? Um, I mean, I'm just, I'd be straightforward with you. you know, I, first of all, I am extremely grateful for your guys' giving. I really, really am. Uh, could we use more? Yeah, we definitely could use more. It would be helpful, okay? That's the reality. But what I want you to see is this, that whatever you give, if you, you're giving what you think the Lord wants you to give, uh, this past week, even example, I got to lead a man to Christ. He was just in the right place, right? Time. We had the conversation and he understood it and he responded, he really responded. And why... I think how to say this. The reality is, so I was there and I got to do that. But why was I there? How could I have been there? You know why? Because you guys gave. You guys gave. I wasn't at work someplace else. I was there. And so that fruit abounds to your account. Anyway, so Paul is saying, look, this, what you've done is awesome. It's helpful to me. But I want you to know it's more than that. It goes on your account in heaven. Okay. And verse 18, 
Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus, that was one of their pastors, Epaphroditus, the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And that's the descriptions from the Old Testament when they worship God and the offerings, the burnt offerings and the things. That's what he's talking about. This is something that's pleasing to God. Verse 19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Okay, that's another one of those verses that's often yanked out of here and used in wrong ways. Because who is Paul saying this to? He's saying it to people who are all in with Jesus. He's saying it to people who are giving sacrificially. How can they afford to give this? Well, I guess they could say, I can do all things through Christ. And Paul says to them, you've stepped out in faith. You've trusted God. You've given of your own. When you really maybe couldn't even see how to do that, I want you to know something. God is going to provide your needs too. And he has plenty to do it with out of his riches. Okay. And then he says, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. And remember, in the, the Bible, New Testament, the word saint means a holy one. That's what the word means. But the, who are the holy ones? The holy ones are the people who have received Christ as Savior, who have been born again on the inside and have this new life from God. They are the holy ones. So every genuinely saved Christian is a saint. So he's saying, all, greet all the believers there with you in Christ Jesus. And the brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. What a thought. Paul is being held captive in Caesar's palace, his prison, and that People who are part of that household have come to know Jesus as Savior. So cool. And then he, he ends with this, ends his letter. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And uh, what's written in the parentheses, and you can't see it here, is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all because you're going to need it. <laughs> okay? That is the fact in our Christian life. So let's, let's talk about what is the, the, the big truth message here today from this passage? Uh, seems to me because of a couple of things Paul says, but this, and this is the 16th truth for the, from the summer. Christ will enable you to do whatever you need to do to follow him faithfully. So Paul has laid out all this stuff in Philippians. You say, well, how can I do this or that? Okay, God will enable you. If you will surrender to him, you know, that's where we start. If we surrender to him, He'll work in our lives to where we can do whatever it is that he's wanting us to do, whatever it takes to follow him faithfully. And, and this isn't surprising. You know, we get this not just from the book of Philippians. We get it through all, all through the Bible, right? Because you think, let's go back to, to Genesis and we have uh, God is going to destroy the world by f the flood as he judges the world and its sin. And uh, here you have Noah and his family and God says you need to build a boat, <laughs> The ship and, and so he spent probably over a hundred years on this boat and God shows him how to do it and enables him to do it and then God miraculously draws the animals right two by two to the ark and they come in and it says God shut the door and they survived the flood when nobody else did God enabled them to do that 
Um, we see Abraham and Sarah, and God has promised them a, a child who is going to be this fulfillment of all God's promises to the whole world. And they're getting up there, and uh, she's almost 90, and he's almost 100. And, and God tells them again, You're gonna, uh, Sarah's going to have a baby. And she's like, yeah, right. Uh, but what does God do? Supernaturally enables her to have this child. He keeps those promises. Uh, and you think when the uh, Israelites found themselves in Egypt and they're, they're coming out, you know, God has got them uh, to come out and they're out there in the wilderness and they find themselves running headlong into the Dead Sea where they can't cross and the armies of Egypt are coming behind them to kill them. And uh, God miraculously intervenes. He, he, he puts a cloud that they can't see through or go around and then he opens the sea and they walk through on dry ground. God enabled them to do what he wanted them to do. Same thing uh, in the wilderness when they didn't have any food to eat, right? They didn't have any food to eat. And God miraculously provides them what's called manna that, that they were able to harvest every day and sustain them for almost 40 years in the wilderness. God enabled them to do what he wanted them to do. We go on and on through the Bible and find those examples, okay? Uh, so all through the Bible, this message is there, and it's certainly there in uh, Philippians that he's going to enable us to follow him faithfully to do what we need to do. So there are four examples here in this uh, chapter or in this portion we just read uh, of the kinds of things that Christ will enable us to do. So let's take a quick look at those. Christ will enable you, first of all, to be content with a little or a lot. Now, I'm going to give you the opportunity here to be really open and honest. Anybody in here ever struggle being content with where, where things are at in your life? I mean, sure, right? That's not abnormal to find ourselves there from time to time. But Christ can enable us to be content. Now, what are we talking about when we talk about content? Well, this word, be content, translates one word from the Greek language. And again, if you're new to us here, the reason we talk about the Greek language is because the New Testament was written in that language. That's what the Holy Spirit led in this particular season, Paul, to write. He, he led him to write these words. So what do they mean? This be content is a combination of two Greek words, self and sufficient. And so what do we, we oh, self-sufficient. Being content is being self-sufficient. Yeah, but we got to understand it as Paul is using it, okay? Self-sufficiency is not normally what we would consider a good Christian quality. We should be God-dependent, God-sufficient, right? Okay, but anyway, so what he means is this, this idea of self for Paul is me and Jesus, right? I have nothing else, just me. Well, but who lives in me? Christ lives in me. Who's working in my life? Christ is working in my life, okay? So this is me, and then plus nothing else. And that is what? Sufficient. If you know Christ as your Savior, if you have him as your Lord and Savior, and you're seeking to follow him, and it seems like nothing else is going your way, but you have him, do you understand you have everything you need because he will provide you with whatever you need to follow him, okay? So this idea of being content. Paul says elsewhere about uh, contentment. He says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. And, and so he's saying, if you, you have a relationship with Christ and, and you are content in that, 
Once again, it doesn't mean you wouldn't like other stuff or enjoy it, but you're content because you have Jesus. He says, you're a rich person. You are a rich person. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Uh, years and years ago, I heard someone tell a story. It's probably all made up, but it was about two. And I looked up and to find out what's the modern word, and I can't think. But anyway, so I'll just use the word. Two hippies. You guys remember hippies? Any of you guys, were you hippies, any of you? Oh, there we go, some of you. All right. Two hippies, you know, kind of chilling, sitting beside the road watching. And along comes this hearse, really fancy hearse. You know, with the, you can see it's a big fancy casket in there. And they go by, and then there's a long, long train of cars coming behind them. And they're all, you know, really expensive cars, really nice cars. And the one hippie says, wow, that guy must have really been rich. How much do you suppose he left behind? And the other hippie goes, all of it, man, all of it. Oh, that strikes me as funny. Sorry, I guess you could. <laughs> he left all of it, right? So what we have here now is to be used to prepare us for eternity. All right, so he says, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. If God has kept us alive and we're here, be content. All right, so Christ will enable you to be content with a little or a lot, okay? Now the second thing is he will uh, enable you to choose and maintain proper motives, okay? So let's, let's look here again. This is where uh, the Apostle Paul, it's over in verses 14, remember he says, hey, you've done good, you've, you've sent to me, you, you were the ones who were always trying to send to me. In verse 16, even Thessalonica you sent to me. Wouldn't it be easy in that relationship for Paul to start feeling like this was about him? You need to send me this because I need it. Okay? That, that would be so easy to get into. And, uh, but what do we see, Paul? Verse 17, we talked about it. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Why does Paul want them to send the money? Because God has things to do. Things he wants to do in Paul's life. Things he wants to do in the Philippians' life. And so he, he has the right motives. He keeps choosing the right motives. This is about God and what he's doing. It's not about what I need. It's not about what I want or how I feel. It's about what God is doing. So he had the proper motives. By the way, how important are right motives? You know that the why is every bit as important as the what? You know, what are you doing, okay? Why are you doing it? The why really, really matters because the why can just undermine the what real easily. And so the idea is if I'm acting on the outside, I'm being very good and I'm doing things, I'm nice to people and I'm, uh, you know, just acting all the right ways. But on the inside, I'm like, oh, I hate this stuff. I can't believe so-and-so. What would you call me? Hypocrite is exactly right. And so our motives need to be right as well because we otherwise are hypocrites and we don't want to be that. And so we need to uh, focus on these right motives. 
And so uh, Paul says this, elsewhere he says, as slaves of Christ, as we're his servants, do the will of God, and read it with me, with all your heart. Your heart needs to match what it is you're doing in your life. Now I meant to say this at the end of the first one about being content, and I'll say it again now, that you cannot do these things on your own. You can't. You can't do them in your natural human strength because your natural human perspective is going to say what? It's all the wrong things. I mean, we go the wrong way. We don't have the right motives. And so we need to, uh, you know, stay in tune with the Lord and ask him to show us our hearts and so we can keep adjusting and keep our motives where they need to be. All right. Uh, the third thing, and this just fits, follows right up what I just said. Christ will enable you to view life from a spiritual perspective. Let's look here at what Paul is saying. So he's talking about very practical things, about money and needs and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we, in verse 18, remember, I, I have all in the bound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. And then he says this, a, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So he has this spiritual perspective on what's going on. This isn't just about, again, me having my needs met. This isn't just about even me being able to do this ministry. The reality here is, is this perspective is that this is pleasing to God. God is pleased with this. And, and so we need to be thinking about our life that way sometimes, right? What's, what's, what's really important here? What's really going on? And we also see the same thing in verse 20. How does he end up here? And this is really the end of the letter that he has to say. The rest is greetings. But he says, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. All that he said through the whole book of Philippians, boy, it comes down to that. God be glorified, right? He has a spiritual perspective. Uh, and then at the end, when he said, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Again, a spiritual perspective. And this is important. Once again, we can't do this on our own because if we look what Paul says, he says, the natural man, that's the unsaved person. That's the person who hasn't been changed on the inside because they received Christ as Savior. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. We have to be saved and changed by God to be able to really start to understand spiritual truths and how they work. And we need him, even after we're saved, to work in our lives to do that. And then, well, let's continue. This is, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned, all right? But here's what I want you to see. Once we come to Christ and, and learning to think and have a spiritual perspective, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says this, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, or just what's natural wisdom that we have, which is fine, but it can't teach you what you need to know. Okay? He goes on, he says, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So there are, if we're going to have a spiritual perspective, we must tune in to the Lord. We must be surrendered to him so he can work freely in our lives and his spirit then can help us to understand and remind us of what's going on. When you're having that hard conversation with someone that you love, the, the Holy Spirit can remind you, hey, I'm at work here and these things that, that we want to accomplish, right? Uh, whatever the circumstances, but the Holy Spirit can be there and teach you to have a spiritual perspective. And then finally, Christ will enable you to have whatever you need to serve him. 
What did he tell the Philippians? They're trying to serve the Lord. They're following him. And what's he tell them? Verse 19, look at it with me. And my God shall supply most of your need. No, my God shall supply, what's the word? All your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What do you need to follow the Lord but don't have? The Lord can and will provide that if it's really about following the Lord. This isn't about, what, well, I want to do this, you know. No, it's about following the Lord. Now, I, you know, I've kind of joked with you guys from time to time and said, you know, hey, I'll take me a yellow late 1970s Corvette. I know I said 1974, but I looked at some other models I like them a little better. Anyway, <laughs> late 70s, Corvette, yellow, any color. Anyway, um, I'd be great. I'd love to have it. But you know what? I don't need that to do what God has called me to do. Now, maybe I get it sometime. Maybe I won't. I'm not praying and asking God for it because I don't feel like I need it. I don't need to do that with him. If I had it, great. If I don't, great. But we're not talking about that kind of thing. We're talking about that God has, and I'll say, burdened my heart to do something. And I look at it and I say, but I can't do that. I'm missing something. I'm missing a person. I'm missing money. I'm missing opportunity. But God, I really believe this is what we want to do. So I begin praying about it, working on it. And God will provide what is needed. Do you think God could provide $10 if I needed it to serve him? How about 10 million? It's all small change to him, isn't it? Okay? Consider this. Uh, in Ro Romans chapter 8. It says, he who, talking about God, the he who did not spare his own son, in other words, he gave his son. What greater thing could he have given? He gave his son. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's already given the biggest, greatest, anything. Everything else, once again, like I said, is like not a big deal. And so if we need it, God will provide it. And you understand that this is where Oftentimes our thinking's still a little twisted because we might think we need something, right? But we don't really need it. By the way, if, if God can lead us this way, because maybe I have this idea, but wow, I believe God really wants me to do this, but I'm missing this, that, or the other thing, and I don't can do it, and I pray, and it doesn't, he doesn't seem to provide it. He doesn't seem to provide it. And you know, eventually, one day all of a sudden he provides it. Maybe he does it different, but you know what? It wasn't time yet. He will provide it at the right time, whatever is needed. Let me give you a couple examples, one personal and one for our church. Um, right at the end of the first year of Glenda and I, our first marriage, our, not our first marriage. <laughs> yeah. Um, right at the end of the first year of our marriage, there we go. The Lord just really put it in our heart that he wanted us to go into ministry and for us, the next step meant we needed to go to school, okay? So Glenda and I, we quit our jobs. Uh, I was working at General Mills packing flour. She was working in a, a Hallmark card shop. We, we quit our jobs and moved to Springfield, Missouri from Kansas City. Uh, had to find, you know, jobs again, place to live. We found a place to live. 
uh, someone that we'd actually known, we went and began renting the house they did. So our home for three years while attending Bible college, let's go ahead and put that up, Barry, if you would. Okay. And here's how the Lord, we, we were pretty poor. <laughs> hadn't even married a year. We hadn't, you know, didn't have a lot of money saved or anything. And uh, we rented this house for $125 a month. Now it came with three roaches. <laughs> but $125 a month, and we got $6 rebate each month because the neighbor's place was connected to our water line. <laughs> anyway, so God enabled us to do that. I, you know, I found work, I sold pots and pans, and that God took care of us for a while with that. Um, he met our needs. He kept us there. We were able to get back in the next semester. He provided the tuition money in different ways. I eventually got a job at Bass Pro Shops, working in the warehouse. Glenda got part-time work uh, doing some cleaning for some people. And all along the way, you know, God kept taking care of us. And he provided, what we, our, he provided food for us. And sometimes that was like one meal at a time because there were times when we were down to nothing left. But God worked and God provided and so many ways. Uh, and even getting us up here, how he worked, because we didn't have enough money to move here. <laughs> but somebody gave the money for us to move here back in 1982. Anyway, and as you noticed, I have never starved to death. <laughs> okay? And so, but he's always provided. He's provided what we needed to do the next thing. And, he, and not always in the way we might have thought he would, different timing, different ways. Uh, so that, we've experienced it in our personal lives. But let me, there's lots of other stories I could tell there, but let's move on. In our church life, like nine years ago, do you remember how desperate our parking lot was? Uh, you probably can't even hardly see that, right? Uh, but it was really bad, okay? Um, and so we started talking about as a church, what are we going to do? And we finally said, we think the Lord wants us to pave it. We don't have the money. What are we going to do? And so we began giving. You guys who were, how many of you were here when we did this? How many of you? Yeah, see, you remember? Started giving, didn't we? Giving a little here, people gave there. They went on and on and slowly kind of built up. And uh, down toward the end, uh, someone, not even who isn't even part of our church, but found out about this and knew about it, gave 25% of the money. We needed $100,000 and we didn't have it, okay? Anyway, so we got it paved, okay? What a nice change that was, right? Um, and so, but God enabled us. We didn't have any way to do this. We couldn't write a check and just or have somebody... He enabled us to do that. What did we do? We just stepped out in faith as a church. We said, okay, let's learn. He wants us to do this, all right? I can give something, you can give something. And we slowly did it. And I think it was not much over a year that we raised that money in by God's miracle. And but you see, here's the thing. What I want to see is we were doing this. God was giving us more than we realized. He was doing more than we expected because... The, the uh, six months after the parking lot was completed, I saw on Facebook two men in the community of Leicester talking about wanting to start a car show that would uh, just be a nice, relaxed thing, kind of bring together, people together on a positive note. 
because uh, the town was fighting about everything. They wanted to do this. And I read this and I just, I felt compelled by the Lord. Right then and there, I just texted and said, hey, our parking lot's available. Okay? And I'm not going to go through the whole story. But you understand, for the last six weeks or so, we've had people in our services from the car show. God was getting us where we need to be and when he wants us to be there and enabling us and providing for us. And he will do the same for you in your life, okay? So a quick review. Christ will enable you to have whatever you need to serve him, to choose and maintain. I'm, I'm sorry, that first one should say, be content with a little or a lot. All right? Choose and maintain proper motives, view life from a spiritual perspective, and whatever you need to serve him and more. I think this is not an exhaustive list, Okay? So we come to the end of Philippians. And my challenge to you is this. Go all in with Jesus. Go all in. You never regret it. And God will be glorified and you will experience the benefits of, of that decision for not just the rest of your life, but for all eternity. And so whatever you're struggling with, let's, let's work on that so you can go all in with Jesus, all right? It starts with receiving Christ as Savior. And if you haven't done that uh, and you're not quite sure what that is, please talk with me. I'd love to help you make that decision. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, uh, the truths of it. Thank you that you enable us uh, completely to do whatever you've called us to do. And that promise here, Lord. I pray we'll live it out, Lord. We'd say yes to you and, and just go for it, knowing that you are going to be faithful to your word. And so help each person here today, Lord, who may be struggling with a decision or even approach to life or whatever, Lord, help them to, to see that there's no better choice and it's the right choice to go all in with you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. Go out there and go all in with the Lord.